Thanks, you guys. Let's thank the Celebrate Recovery Band. Thanks, you guys. Uh, filling in tonight for Pastor Jared and the uh, uh, regular uh, hub band that we have here on Sunday nights, but that was just awesome. Uh, Steve Giles and Brandon Ummels and Caleb Zvalstead, uh, this Pastor Greg's uh, son right here on the Cajon, and so I uh, really appreciate you guys very much. And look, let me just share, celebrate recovery, just like Pastor uh, Tomiko was just saying, uh, for anybody with hurts, hang-ups, or habits, oh my goodness, does that like include everybody? Uh, hurts, hang-ups, and habits, Tuesday night, you can get the brochures out there in the lobby at their table. There will be people from Celebrate Recovery that will be out there to answer any of your questions. They meet on Tuesday night from 6.30 to 8.30, and it is just an awesome time. The worship is awesome. The sharing, it's so encouraging. I was just there uh, a couple months ago or so, and it was just fantastic and really encouraging. And thank you guys so much for leading in worship and also for leading and feeding us as well. That, that is just terrific, and we're very, very grateful. And I am so glad to see you all here tonight. Uh, just an absolute thrill, particularly with regard to the subject uh, that we're going to be talking about tonight, how important it is, maybe the most important thing that we'll talk about here at the Hub uh, ever this year. And so really, really glad that you're here. If you are a visitor, I would love to meet you. If you've got an extra minute or two after the service is over, I'll either be here at the front or stuffing my face with a meatball sub. These are, by the way, very healthy meatball subs. They're very, very low in cholesterol. I'm just lying. They really, uh, uh, they are high in taste, low in, uh, high in cholesterol and high in taste. And uh, so I'll either be out there eating dinner across the way at the community room or here at the front. Would love uh, to meet you if you got a chance. Uh, would really enjoy the chance for us to get better acquainted. Uh, would you please turn with me? To your study outline, you either got the paper outline as you came in. Those are always available out there uh, as, as you come back through. If anybody needs one, could we, do we have some left over? I think we do still have some. So maybe if you raise your hands, we could get one to you. Or if you look behind me, if you want to save paper, uh, if you want to save a tree in Oregon or Washington, then what you can do is you can access your smartphone or a mobile device, and you'll see behind me uh, how to do that. Now, before we get into our study tonight... If you turn it over to the backside or scroll ahead there on your mobile device, in the lower right-hand corner, you'll see that next Sunday night we're having our annual Super Bowl party here at the Hub. And it was so much fun last year. We had a great time. And it works out perfectly. I mean, it's amazing how it works out because kickoff is at 3.30. You can show up early. You can see there about bringing snacks. But we will supply our regular free dinner at, at uh, 6 o'clock or at 5.45 uh, after the service. And so we'll have our regular free dinner. But you can bring uh, snacks and sides and desserts to share. And you'll see that information there. But it works out just perfectly because kickoff is at 3.30 which means halftime is right at 5 o'clock. And as I said last Sunday, I'm pretty sure God wants you here at that service not watching the Katy Perry halftime show. I, I, just, I just know about this. So at any rate, uh, you can either, if you're having your Super Bowl party at your home, you can come on in for the service. Or if you're here, we'll have an abbreviated service. We do believe God says it's okay uh, to have a 45-minute service uh, that particular night to coincide more closely 
uh, with halftime. We'll continue the Sticky Faith Parenting Series that we're starting here tonight, and then we'll have the conclusion of the game after that and our free dinner. So really would love to have you come, bring a friend. We've got the big screen, a uh, big projection screen there in the community room. Should be a lot of fun, and it's a perfect thing. If you've got some friends that are nervous about church, this would be a great, like, low-key thing uh, to invite them to. Now, we get to our Sticky Faith Parenting. And really, I, we could have almost called it a sticky, faith or church, a sticky Faith Church, because that's what we want to be here at the Hub. We want to be a Sticky Faith Church. That's what we want. And so I really admire those of you that are parents. I am so glad you're here. I wish I was learning this material that we're going to go through. We're particularly using the book Sticky Faith. Uh, you'll see it there in, in the outline by Kara Powell and Chap Clark. And uh, we're using that material plus other material that we're using, um, How to Keep Your Kids on Your Team by Charles Stanley and a few other resources uh, that we're going to be using. And so I tell you, as a parent of children that are pretty much grown up now, oh, I wish I had this material. I wish I was sitting where you're sitting uh, right now because this stuff is so helpful. As I went through it, I felt good that we had done certain things, but boy, I wish I had done uh, certain other things. So I envy you where you are. I wish I could go back in a time machine and, uh, or forward in a time machine or whatever. You get the point and uh, gotten this material because it's so helpful. As a grandparent now of like an eight and a four-year-old, I'm really Looking forward to this material. It's so helpful. Can, how can I be a strategic grandfather uh, that will help the faith to be sticky for the next generation? But then, really, it's just for all of us in the church, whether you have children or grandchildren, nieces or nephews, or you do not. We want to be a sticky faith church. We want to be the church that passes on the faith to the next generation. That is so incredibly important. And every generation is just one generation away from losing the faith if we don't pass it on in a sticky way to the next generation. And particularly here at the Hub, this was founded, uh, this was envisioned uh, primarily by Pastor Tomiko and Pastor Lisa and others. It was, it was envisioned to be a multi-generational for the purpose of being sticky faith generation to generation. That's what was birthed. And so this series really is at the DNA, the heart of what uh, the hub, Purpose Church, uh, the Sunday evening meeting uh, service here. This is what this was made to be. So particularly here, this really fits what we want to do here. It's part of who we are as a church. And you're going to find out how even if you have, don't have your children are grown up or you don't have grandchildren nearby, whatever, you're going to find out that one of the key things that uh, particularly Pastor Eric, I believe, is going to talk to us about is how we as adults can reach out to the youth of our church. We think, oh, the last thing they want to do is to talk to a, you know, old guy like me. Oh, I'm talking myself, not I'm including none of you in that, but like Glenn. You know, oh, do the high schoolers really want the 58-year-old pastor to come up and say, hey, what's your name? What are you doing in school? And Pastor Eric has been such a challenge to me that yes, just simply knowing their name and taking an interest in them will make the faith more sticky for that particular student. And he has already, in the year that he's been here, particularly challenged me in this area. Now, a great analogy that we want to think about is a 4 by 100 relay or any type of relay. And, you know, whenever you have a relay, it's so important. You have to do several things. You have to, first of all, make sure you pass the baton to the next leg of the relay. That's really important. But you also have to do it according to the right timing. You have to do it in the right lanes. You can't do it too soon. You can't do it too late or you'll be disqualified. You also need to time it 
so that you are at full speed when you pass it off to the relay runner and they are at full speed. That's when it's most effective. And all those things are so important with regard to passing on our faith as well. Now, there's a little bit of an arrogant American type thing to say, but I think there's a lot of truth in saying that for the last 50 to 100 years, the United States has had the, uh, the four best 100-meter men and women. We may not have had the best, like Jamaica has Usain Bolt, and they have two, you know, two or three, but as far as the best four uh, for like a century with the men, and maybe for the last half a century with women, we have had the best four 100-meter uh, people in, in the world. But we don't always win the gold medal. Why is that? Sometimes we drop the baton. Sometimes we pass it off too soon or too late. Sometimes we don't make a smooth path, uh, pass off so that we reduce speed. And so we have not always won the gold medal because sometimes one of those pass-offs of the baton, even though we're the fastest, we don't pass it off effectively and so we don't get the gold medal. Now, when it all comes together, all three of those things, in the lane, at the right speed, smooth pass off, hold on to the baton, here's what's happened. This is from 1988. Let's look at this. That's such a beautiful thing. I just, I just love it every time. <laughs> and then a world record to boot. How's that? All right. So let's dig in. Uh, why we're doing this in, in three sections, and, or three people are involved in this series, uh, because we're all at different stages of our children. Uh, so, for example, my oldest child is 32, and my youngest child is 18. Pastor Eric, his oldest child is 2, so he comes at it from a different perspective than 32 uh, on my part. Uh, Pastor Lisa, her oldest child, she and Carl's oldest child, is 6. And so we really want to do it from different perspectives because I have frankly forgotten some of the challenges from when the children were younger. And yet I can see the whole panoramic view, but I'm not fresh on what's happening when we have younger children. And so we thought it would be cool to divide this up between the three of us, uh, parents of different ages, children of different ages, and parents of different ages. That's why we're doing it this way. So I'm, I'm starting off. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now this is a challenge but it also can be a guilt trip. How many of you older parents like me have ever felt guilty about that particular verse? Now, you gotta know something about that verse, hermeneutically, okay, interpretation-wise. It's not a promise, it's a probability. The Proverbs are not meant to be promises, they are meant to be probabilities. Now, what that means is, God made each one of our children with individual free will. How many of you have already discovered that as parents? <laughs> they have their own free will. And so we can do everything in our power, but we've known some of the most wonderful Christian families who've done everything they can in that first part to start children off on the way they should go. And yet in the end, when they turned old, they did turn from it. And so this is not meant to lay a guilt trip on you, although I would encourage you with parents of older children like myself, it is never too late. You pray for those children. I should pray for my children or my grandchildren. It, my dying breath, should be a prayer for them because it is never too late. You never know how that thing's gonna turn out. So do not be discouraged. Do not have a guilt trip laid on you because of this verse. On the other hand, let's not be fatalistic. There is a probability that is increased by doing an effective job of starting children off on the way they should go. It will increase your odds. 
There, we can't be fatalistic about it. Say, well, it's just going to turn out the way it turned out. Oh, absolutely not. There are concrete, practical things we can do which will increase the likelihood that when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, here's the set of uh, statistics that are terrifying uh, and which lead to a series like this. Uh, 40 to 50% of kids who graduate from a church or youth group nationwide will fail to stick with their faith in college. Absolutely terrifying. Now, here's some good news, however. Between 30 and 60% of youth group graduates who abandon their faith and the church return to both in their late 20s. Now, if my math is, is correct on this, that means worst-case scenario, 35%, one out of three. Which, if that's the worst-case scenario, that is horrific. The thought that, I mean, just think of our youth group right now and just count by threes, and every third one is not going to be following the Lord when they get to their late 20s. Now, by my calculations, the best-case scenario is 16%. Uh, but that's still really high if you go with the whole thing that only, say, only 40% fall away and 60% of those come back. Uh, then it's 16%, and plus that gets even better. It could get better because even after their late 20s, they can still come back to the Lord even after their late 20s. And part of the statistics behind the statistics is that conservative Protestants, that is evangelical churches, Bible-believing churches like ours, come back at a higher rate than mainline Protestants or Roman Catholic uh, young adults. And so Bible-believing evangelical churches like our church they do come back at a higher percentage. But even if you get that down to 5 or 10%, that is completely unacceptable, isn't it? Now, for another reason, it's just not acceptable. I mean, even if it's all the way down to 5 to 7 or 8% or something like that, that's precious lives. I don't want to count off every 10 of our youth group any more than I want to count off every 3. But here's the other problem, is that when they're taking a time out from their faith, major life decisions take place with regard to their friends, who they marry, what their vocation is, what their worldview is formed as being, and their lifestyle. These things are formed in your 20s. And so it's heartbreaking how many young adults will take time out from their faith, make decisions that even when they come back to the Lord, those, those decisions linger with them even after they've come back to the Lord. Um, you, one of these things that they talk about a lot is, is alcohol abuse in college. Uh, just less. And these same statistics, by the way, hold true for whether they go to the military, uh, whether they go, get a job right out of high school, or whether they go to college. They really are roughly the same. Just less than 50% of full-time college students binge drink, abuse prescription drugs, and or abuse illegal drugs. And, and we just know how dangerous that is. Uh, this is a study uh, done by the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. By the way, just a little bit of a sidebar. You know, when you go through this material, uh, it's funny, when you get to my age, you kind of look back over your youth and childhood, and it's very interesting. You know, you don't see things when you're there, but you see things when you look back. And when I was just looking at that statistic, and it came out of Columbia University, which is an Ivy League school, Columbia University is in the Ivy League with places like Princeton and Harvard and Yale. It's an it's a Ivy League school in New York City. And I remembered back to I was recruited to run track for Columbia University. And, and they were coming after me to run track for them at an Ivy League school. And I remember, you know, now I look back and think, my goodness, that was quite an opportunity to go to an Ivy League school, to run track for an Ivy League school. 
And yet I remember just thinking that my parents had so connected me with the most important thing is to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. And I truly believe that a different school would help me to fulfill God's plan and purpose for my life than even an Ivy League school would help me to do. And so I remember just, uh, I remember the phone call where I turned it down and I said, no, I'm just not gonna do that because I really believe that this is a different direction I should go because of God's plan and purpose for my life. Uh, College students spend $5.5 billion each year on alcohol, more than they spend on soft drinks, tea, milk, juice, coffee, and school books combined. And many sexual mistakes happen uh, in combination with alcohol abuse as well. So what is sticky faith? It's internal and external. That is, we want internal change. We want it to lead to external habits and actions. It's personal and communal. We don't, don't just want them to be them and Jesus against the world. We want them to be part of a local church as well, communal, connected with other believers. Now, here's the good news that segues into Lisa and to Eric. Parents, be of encouragement. Your children are more connected to you than you might think. It's who you are that shapes your kids. How you express and live out your faith may have a greater impact on your son and daughter than anything else. You may not think like you have an impact on them. You have a huge impact on them. Christian Smith says when it comes to kids' faith, parents get what they are. And then, uh, by the way, that looks like it's a book called It's Never Too Late. That was meant to be my next point. It's never too late. To, for us to become the followers of Christ we should be, which will lead to them becoming the followers of Christ that we want them to be. Uh, Tim Clydesdale writes, given the seeming importance of retaining youth for most religious groups in the United States, it is striking how haphazardly most congregations go about it. And we, by the grace of God, Purpose Church, the hub, was started as a way to address this. It was, it was started to not be haphazard in how we pass it off uh, to the next generation. And then finally, as Eric comes up, pray continually. You know, when all is said and done, um, maybe the most important thing that will be done as we do this series, it's a four-part series, it's going to be next Sunday, halftime of the Super Bowl, and then the two Sundays after that as well, maybe the most important thing we'll do is pray for our children and pray for the children of our church. And so let's do that as Eric comes up. Lord, right now, right now, I think of every child, you know the name of every child represented here in this room, every grandchild, every niece, every nephew, every child, every student, every young adult within our church family, Lord. We are thinking of them right now and we lift them up to you. Lord, show us what we can do as if it all depends upon us. But then, Lord, help us to pray, knowing it also all depends upon you. Help us to pray continually and beseech you on behalf of the next generation. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. 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 I, are we so blessed to have Pastor Glenn as our pastor? Um, I, I really do believe that one of the most, the, maybe the greatest determining factor of whether a church is going to be a sticky church is if we have a senior pastor and if we have pastors on our team who believe in that and who want to make church a kind of place uh, where students feel connected and they feel plugged in. And so I don't know about for you, but I read some of those statistics and I, I got a two and a half year old and I'm going, oh my gosh, that is terrifying, you know? And then I work with high school students. I'm the high school pastor here. And so I'm seeing these students. And I'm wondering, how can faith become sticky for them? How can faith become something that they go to the next level with? And so if you're in this room and you have a junior high or high school parent, um, what I'm going to share with you, I think, translates perfectly. And I think um, my hope is that you would be able to begin some of what I'm going to share even this week. Um, but maybe some of you are in this room and you've got little kids, right? And you're going, man, like I'm worrying about potty training right now, okay? I'm not thinking about 
you know, trying to explain the Trinity to them quite yet. And, and maybe you're going, but how, how would I do all this stuff? Well, my hope is that this would, some of what we're sharing might begin conversations with you and your spouse and maybe your family about, about how you can implement some of this stuff. And then lastly, if you're in this church and you have no kids or your kids are all out and, um, and you're kind of just here, well, here's what's awesome, is that you will play a huge role in keeping and helping students take their faith to college and beyond with them. So what I'm about to share is for really, for everybody. The first thing I want to share is, is this scripture with you. John chapter 6, verse 28 to 29 says this. Then they asked him, speaking to Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, I share that scripture because we have to launch at this place because the first question we have to ask ourselves is what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And to be honest with you, what I have seen and and what a lot of this research is showing is that the gospel that we have given to our students is a gospel of sin management. It's a gospel of Jesus is, if you, if, you know, in order to be in a relationship with Jesus, it first and foremost means you do X, Y, and Z. But according to Jesus, when he's pressed, when he's asked, what is it God is looking for? The very first thing he says is you must believe, right? And that word believe could be translated, you must trust, you must have faith. And unfortunately, we have kind of gotten it reversed a little bit. That The gospel we have shared with our students is one of you do X, Y, and Z. That's what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. But just like Pastor Glenn said, the external, the behaviors, the acts of following Jesus are important, but they begin from a heart. They begin from a place where you are going, Jesus, I trust you with my life. And so as parents, you have to begin to think about what kind of gospel are you sharing with your kids, right? Is it one of, hey, God loves you, but if you clean your room, oh man, he really loves you. You know what I mean? Is it that kind of gospel or is it one of, you know, following Jesus is first and foremost about you believing in him, about you knowing that he loves you and he cares about you. And when you are so overwhelmed with that good news that God came for you, as Paul says, while you were still a sinner, then out of that place, we begin to do good works. We begin to clean our rooms. We begin to obey our parents. But it's because it comes from this first relationship with Jesus. And so the first thing as parents is we gotta really think about the gospel that we are telling, that we are teaching our students. And so I wanna provide you with just maybe a few kind of things to think about. Um, Three ways that you can stay engaged, that you can have conversations about the gospel, about trusting Jesus with your student. And it begins with Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I wanna give you three questions to ask. Three questions to ask. Three ways to stay engaged in your student's life in a way that you might be able to help them understand what the gospel is, that it's about believing in Jesus and you might be able to deal with that rather than just kind of asking them to do things or telling them that following Jesus is first and foremost about what you do. So here's the first thing I wanna share. Here's the first question I have for you. And, and maybe this question might be convicting for some of you, but it's a question that we could all rally around and that we might be able to do something with. The first question is this. Can you name five adults who are spiritually pouring into your student? 
Can you name five adults who are spiritually pouring into your students? A lot of this research out of Sticky Face shows this, that if a student has five people in their lives, five people in their local church who are spiritually influencing them and who, like Pastor Glenn said, just know their name, just care for them, just know about soccer and how that's going, that the chances of them continuing faith beyond high school goes up exponentially. And so parents... Who are those five people in your life who are spiritually influencing and pouring into your student? Church. Can you name one student who, other than your sphere of influence or other than your students, can you name one student who you are spiritually investing in? You see here, I look at this room. There's a handful of students here every single week. What if just here at the hub, what if these students knew that some of these adults who had no other connections with them other than they went to the same church, what if they knew, hey, this adult loves me and cares for me, knows my name, is investing in me. You know what they're gonna do? When they go off to college, they're gonna desperately be seeking those kinds of relationships. And so my encouragement to you is who are the five adults that are spiritually influencing your kid? And other than your kids, who are you? What students are you spiritually investing in and pouring into? Question number two is this. When is the last time you had a conversation with your student about their social media life? Okay, now this is a big hot button issue, right? This is a big topic. We're talking about Facebook. Maybe some of this is gonna sound like Greek to you, but we're talking Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Students have a social media life. And for those of you parents who specifically have kids between seventh and 12th grade, my question for you is, when is the last time you talked with them about their social media life? How many of you remember reading the book in school, Lord of the Flies? Anyone read, anyone read Lord of the Flies? Okay, you remember that. So it's an awesome book, right? It's a very strange book, but it's basically there's this plane crash, and all of a sudden there's all these kids, and there's no parents around at all, right? Everyone remember that? And what happens? Absolute mayhem, right? You parents are critical to this, and, and I have this theory that in social media, in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, on Snapchat, that we have created a Lord of the Flies experience where there are students on these sites and they are surrounded by other students and there are not any parents involved at all and it is absolute mayhem. It is an absolute disaster. My question for you is what would it look like, not for you to just say, don't have a Facebook or don't have a Twitter or you need to do this or you need to do that, but what would it look like to have a conversation with your student and say, hey, could you tell me a little bit about your Facebook? Could you tell me a little bit about Snapchat and what, what that is? Could, could, what does it look like to trust Jesus on Facebook? And I promise you, parents, Facebook is not going anywhere. They just hit one billion users. They're not shutting down anytime soon, okay? Kids are signing up for more and more of these social media outlets. And the problem is there are virtually zero parents engaged. So my question for you is how can you begin to have conversations with your student about their digital and their social media life? And the third question I want to ask you is this. When is the last time you dialogued with your student about your relationship with Jesus and asked them about theirs? As Pastor Glenn said, and you may not 
believe this. And you're like, no, my kids literally don't like me. Like they don't talk to me. They give me all kinds of attitude. They don't want, they put their headphones in. But here's what's true statistically. Parents, you play the greatest spiritual role in your student's life. That you have the greatest spiritual influence over your student's life. And unfortunately, we've kind of created a church culture where parents do this. They say, well, I want to spiritualize my kids, so I'm going to pass them off to the church. And guys, as, as the church, you know what we want to do? We want to come alongside you. We want to partner with you in the spiritualizing of your kids, in, in your kids understanding the gospel. But if it's just us, we see them once or twice a week, maybe. But you guys have opportunities to spiritually invest in your students every single day. And your kids are dying to hear how Jesus is real in your life how you've experienced the grace of God, how you are trusting Jesus. And then what would it look like even just around the table organically or maybe on a drive where like they have to be with you, right? Like tell them, take out the headphones, let's talk. What if you were to just ask them, hey, what's God doing in your life? Hey, what kind of things are you learning at youth group? Hey, where is Jesus in this situation that maybe your students are talking to you about? And so parents, I would encourage you, especially of young kids, to begin talking about Jesus regularly. To begin the conversations about your faith and your students' faith. And I promise you, we're going to see amazing things come out of that. So those are some thoughts from me as a high school uh, pastor. I don't have high school students, so... Try them on your kids, and if it screws them up, then just let me know, okay? But honestly, I think this stuff, I think this stuff really bears some weight, and I think this stuff could be that huge transforming factor in helping students have a sticky faith that lasts through college. So uh, next up, we're going to invite Pastor Lisa. And maybe some of you, honestly, like me, you're kind of in the potty training phase right now, okay? So you're like, we don't need to talk about Snapchat. We need to talk about peeing in the tub, you know? I mean, I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, Pastor Lisa is in that zone right now. She's hanging with those little kids, and so uh, Pastor Lisa is going to share a little bit more about how that translates. Thank you, Eric. Kids. Don't we appreciate our high school pastor? He's the best. We're so excited about him, and I know everyone's super excited to hear that there's a car that has left their lights on in the parking lot. I don't know what kind, but it's apparently a white car with license plate 7BVS674, so if that's you... Run, 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 okay? But hey, you know what? It is so fun to get to be up here with these guys because I was telling Pastor Glenn, you know, we went out to lunch and we were kind of talking about as we were putting all this together what we were going to do. And I'm like, Glenn, I just am so appreciative of you and your leadership because he's got six kids, one, right? Six, so just give it up for him there. But all six of his kids are following Christ. And I, I am just, I'm so thankful that we have a spiritual leader who wants us to invest in our kids and that he and Kimberly have been very intentional about the way they've raised their kids and just what a blessing that is to me and my husband and for us as a church family to have parents that, that really have that kind of role model for us. So um, I'm just so thankful. And then Eric, my gosh, everybody, I'm like, Eric, you have to stay our high school pastor, at least through all my kids are in high school, okay? That's our deal because he's so amazing. We can't wait to have him as our high school pastor. But hey, you know what? If you are in a stage of life where you spend a lot of time not doing these things that necessarily we've been talking about, you're maybe in a little bit different zone in life. Um, I've got a picture of my family up here. Um, I think that Robbie's going to put up for you. I, my oldest is six. I have a five-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a, a one-year-old. So um, we are 
we are definitely not quite in the stress zone of thinking about drugs and alcohol and walking away from faith. We um, find ourselves having conversations. You know, I say things that I never thought I would have to say. Things like, you know, no, you can't give your toy a bath in the toilet. I'm sorry. Um, Don't bite your sister. Quit poking your brother. Um, You know, we say things like, yes, you need to wear shoes to school. No, you can't wear your slippers to school. That's not okay. Mommy, I want to wear my Elmo slippers or my Superman slippers. I'm sorry, honey. You just can't do that. Um, Keep the bath water inside the tub. It has to stay there, you know. Um, Things like, yes, you need to eat your dinner. Um, Say please and thank you. Um, Don't run out in front of cars. Get back in bed, right? Anyone there? Get back in bed again and again and again. Okay, so... When you are parenting with early, young children, um, you are just exhausted most of the time. I get that. And so much of it is just repetition. And sticky faith seems like so far away because our reality of sticky is just everything sticky, right? The floor is sticky. The counter is sticky. The table is sticky. Their hands are sticky, but those are the hands that give you sticky hugs. And their mouths are sticky, but those are the mouths that give you sticky kisses, right? So we are in a whole different realm of sticky than sticky faith. But, you know, the cool thing is, as I was thinking about this in terms of being uh, mommy and daddy in the zone of little kids, that I think Jesus gets that. And Jesus is the one that established sticky faith, even for parents of, of little kids. You know, check out this scripture that we find in Mark 10, 13 through 16. This is from the message. It says, the people brought children to Jesus. And if you read one of those like little picture Bibles to your kids at night, there's pictures, right? Picture Bibles are awesome. And they're little kids. Jesus brought little children to Jesus, hoping that he might touch them. And the disciples, they shooed them off. But Jesus was irate. Isn't that fantastic? Did you know Jesus got mad? Jesus got mad. Jesus got irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of the life in the kingdom. Mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. And then gathering up the children in his arms, sticky hands, sticky mouths, Jesus let them get up on his lap, and he laid his hands of blessing on them. See, so much in the early years of parenting when we have little kids is laying that kind of foundation, kind of trying to get these things to start to take root. So as they get bigger, that we've kind of invested in them um, in a form of almost repetition, right? Because our job, you know, God gives us these babies. They hand them to us, you know, however we get our baby, and they think we know what we're doing, right? They say, here you go, go for it. And we buckle them into their car seat and go home, and we're like, where's the user's manual, right? What do we do with these, these small children that we have been entrusted to to raise them from being babies to healthy, functioning, thinking, believing adults, right? That is our job. And also maybe to start the counseling fund that needs to go along with it for all the ways that we screw them up in the process of trying to make them these healthy, functioning adults, Right? Um, But have you ever noticed that small children, they learn by imitation, right? They see you do something, and then they want to do it. My one-year-old is just in the process of learning to, to walk. She's learning how to give kisses, 
because she sees that's what I do to her, and she's just learning how to do that. And so laying that foundation of faith really begins with us modeling it, that we as the grown-ups, as we as the mommies and daddies, really model what this real faith is, that not only do we want our kids to have sticky faith, but we really believe that that faith sticks to us, that we really do live that out. You know, some things we just we don't teach our kids. You know, I don't know where they get the idea of getting all the paper, um, toilet paper in the house and rolling it across the house to make roads for their cars. But that's things I did not teach them, right? I did not teach them to, when dad comes out from catching the rat in the garage, to be like, oh, that's so cute. Can we keep it? I did not teach them that, right? Some things, they um, dumping the entire thing of a bottle of bubble bath in the tub so they could have more bubbles. I did not teach them that. Some things kids just do on their own. Um, but they're watching all the time. Um, they're watching if we really believe in God. They're watching, do we really talk to God? Do we just teach them to pray or do we pray too? They're watching, do we just do Bible stories with them or do we read our Bible too? Do we believe that the Bible is just a story, like the stories that we read them? Or is it really a true book with a true and living and mighty and powerful God? They're watching all the time. And I know if you're sitting there, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, I am not the Christian that I want my kids to be. And I get that. I so get that because I'm there too. I'm a pastor and I am not the Christian I want my kids to be. I want them to do so much more and believe so much more and trust God so much more than I do. And honestly, I'd be kind of worried if you were like, yep, yeah, I'm the kind of Christian I want my kids to be, right? None of us are there. We're not. Um, but this is, um, you know, it's a series not just about parenting. It's a series about talking about who we are, who we want the outside world watching us to see our behaviors and to model those things for a watching world. You know, inevitably, I will be out somewhere at the grocery store with all four of my kids, and one or more of them will have a traumatic meltdown. We will have a moment. There's crying. There's yelling there's consequences, there's the stern mommy look and the stern mommy voice, and I am like getting the chaos out of the store and hurting them to have some discipline. And someone's like, Pastor Lisa, I go to your church. And I'm like, great, let me just get the crying chaos in the minivan and shut the door so I can talk to you. Because, you know, it just, life happens like that. It's never perfect. But an outside world is always watching how we handle tough situations and handle our faith in the midst of those situations. There's this great quote by Dallas Willard that says, we are becoming who we will be forever. Isn't that beautiful? Every day we get a fresh start of who we want to be, of who we want to model our faith for the kids. If I had a really bad day yesterday, tomorrow I get to start over on Monday morning. I get a fresh, clean slate of how I'm going to interact with God, of how I'm going to talk to my kids about God, of how I'm going to talk to my husband, how I'm going to talk to my kids, how I'm going to relate to people, how I'm going to be real, authentic salt and light in this world. So, you know, the question becomes, what are some ways that we can model faith to our kids? Um, there's transformative practices that we talk about in terms of developing faith, spiritual formation, things like Bible reading, things like prayer, things like practicing giving with our money, 
things that are like um, even practicing Sabbath, that we take a day to reflect on what God has given us without the, the regular routine of work. These are all transformative practices. And I wonder which one of those might be kind of like screaming in your spirit right now, that this would be a transformative practice that not only you want your kids to see, that would begin to change you, that would begin to change your heart. And as that happens, as you begin to live that out, your kids are going to start to pick up on that. If you want to have generous kids, you got to be a generous parent. You got to talk about giving your money to people and model showing that and help them clean out their toys and give them to kids. If you want your kids to read their Bible and believe that it's not just a storybook that Disney put out, but that it is a real powerful book, you got to read it and talk about it, how it's changed you and why it's changed you. See, parenting is far from a routine job. Um, you know, they, they hand you these kids, and you're like, okay, here we go. Um, and Andy Stanley has this great way of breaking down this model. Andy Stanley says this, ages 1 to 5, you're kind of like in the discipline zone. In ages 5 to 12, you're in the training zone. In ages 12 to 18, you're in the coaching phase. And then ages 18 plus, you're in the friendship zone. So, you know, when you are in those early years of discipline and training and even coaching, we have to be the model, um, and we have to listen and talk with our kids about all these things. There's this great quote that says, we talk and listen to our kids now so that they will talk and listen to us later. Isn't that fantastic? We talk and we listen to all the things that our kids are passionate about, even when we don't think that they're very meaningful but they're meaningful to them. And if we talk and we listen to them now, they're going to want to listen and talk with us when things matter down in life. Um, Pastor Chuck Swindell tells a story of a couple who came in, and they were so frustrated about the choice that their daughter had chosen to marry. They were just beside themselves. They, they didn't think that he was a good choice, and their daughter was not listening to them, and they needed help. But you see, the problem was those parents had never taken time to stop and listen to what was important to her way in the very beginning of those years when tea parties were important and stuffed animals were important and painting her nails were important and braces were traumatic and, um, you know, fashion was a crisis. All those things that seemed silly and trite and they wanted her to like be independent and make those decisions herself. And then when it came time for her to make a really big decision, why would she listen to her parents? They were just interfering. It was never something that she had had modeled as a parental discussion about things that were important to her. And faith translates to that as well. We talk and listen to our kids now so that they will talk and listen to us later. So in the early years, we talk about monster trucks and Legos. We talk about ninjas and Star Wars. We talk about princesses and Olaf the snowman. We talk about tea parties and American Girl dolls because that's what's important to our kids. And right along along with that, we can talk about Jesus. We talk about church. We talk about prayer. We talk about the Bible. We talk about why those things are important. We talk and we listen to them now so that they will talk and listen to us later.
So I just want to end, you know, I, as we've been, you know, we've been talking about this series for a while as a pastoral team and getting prepped, and I listen to these statistics and I've read these books. I'm, I'm really, I, I'm actually friends with some of the people that wrote these books, and I, um, I just have this terror that rises in me. I just listen and I watch and I think, oh my gosh, my precious dear children are going out in this big, bad, evil, scary world, and I am terrified. And um, sometimes it's all that I can do to know what to do with that terror. Um, You know, you think, I'm terrified for my kids. Is there any hope? But, you know, every generation that has come before us has had some really bad stuff go down, some really evil stuff out there. Um, And the good news is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That there is always hope because we have Jesus. For this we have Jesus. And so as parents, as a faith community, we hold on to Jesus and we trust that there is hope for our generation. There is hope for the future. There's hope for our precious kids because we have Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 9 um, is just a a tremendous um, verse, but it's a prayer that I pray over and over. I pray this for my kids. I pray this on my marriage. I pray this for my work. I pray this whenever I'm I'm stressed or I'm scared. And I want to read this to you, and then I want us to close reading this together. So let me read it first to you, and you can listen, and then we're going to do this together. It says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that fantastic? God's promise to us that there is hope. There's hope for our kids. There's hope for this generation that they will become the leaders that lead the church. They will become the ones that are the light in the darkness. And so we as a faith community, it is our job, it is our responsibility, it is our privilege to rally around these young people and help faith become something that is sticky, something that's attractive, something that's fun, something that's real, that they don't want to be without. I don't want to be without Jesus, and I don't want my kids to be either. So let's stand as a faith community. And, and Robbie, if you could just put that scripture back up, and if we could just all read that together as we get ready to, to finish up tonight. Out loud together, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. Head on over to the community room for Hub Grub, and we'll have some dinner together.